You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we what the news. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. This is a solo episode today. Ephraim Guzman is on location. I am your host, Eve Cannon Sannon. Now, let's get ready to get into this interview. Ephraim Guzman is going to interview, let's say, activist, actress, book writer. She's a woman of many, many talents. Miss Esmeralda Santiago. This is the Atomic Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, writer, actress, documentary filmmaker, activist, Esmeralda Santiago. Esmeralda, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very good. I hope you had a good Christmas and a good Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. It was very quiet and very nice. Thank you so much. I hope yours is good, too. Yes, yes. It's just, it just, you know, as always, holidays, it always could have been longer, but, it, you know, it was fine, though. It was fine. Yeah, it's always uh, when you're surrounded by family, you just wanted to just go on and on. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, first of all, I just want to talk about your book. When I was Puerto Rican, um, when when did you first get the idea to tell the story? And did you have any idea that a book, a memoir, like um, when I was Puerto Rican, will be well, will, you know, it would be well well received? Did you have any idea? Um, no, I actually, before I wrote when I was Puerto Rican, I'd been writing um, essays about my experience being a, a Puerto Rican, um, having children in a very, um, uh, the opposite of a diverse community in southeastern Massachusetts and feeling um, extremely, um, it, you know, I, I felt like I was really kind of almost like segregated from, from that from that culture there because I was the only Spanish speaker except for the, the nannies and, and, uh, and employees uh, who worked in these houses nearby. So I felt, um, you know, there, there was a lot of feeling around around that for me and also the fact that I talked a lot to, uh, to the nannies when I would bring my own children to the park and they thought I was a nanny also. And so, so my, my um, writing about my experiences emerged from that feeling of, um, you know, I, I was connecting to to people that um, didn't really live in the community, but they worked there. And also that we were all Latinas, and we all had these lives that our neighbors, you know, as long as we just kind of did our work and stayed out of their way, they didn't really care about our lives. And so I began to write about, about that kind of, um, you know, and um, a, uh, an editor um, saw one of my essays, and it was she who got in touch with me and looked at uh, the other work that I had written and suggested that I write a book about my life, which, frankly, I had no plans to do. <laughs> so it was, it was really, the idea did not come from me. Uh, the, the, the idea came from the editor, and I... Um, but once we talked and her encouragement and her support and, and constantly telling me that the story uh, had to be, you know, had to be published and had to be told, um, that's what kind of kept me going and inspired me to then write the book. Um, when it was finally published, I was, I had no idea of what kind of this 
that, um, you know, maybe my family and my friends would buy the book, you know, but it would kind of disappear into the ether of all the hundreds of books that are published and no one reads. But it was very, um, it was surprising to me that um, it really kind of touched a nerve um, from people who had had either similar experiences or whose parents had had similar experiences and then, you know, I told them about it. And so it was, um, it, it was a shock to me, you know, and, 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 and a wonderful shock. I mean, one of the things that I always have felt um, all my life is that I was kind of sort of alone in this struggle of, you know, learning language and learning culture and being in a different society and a different among different people and always being, you know, either the first Latina or the only Latina in any one place. And, and all of a sudden, I'm getting um, a lot of um, responses from people who had had the same kind of experiences uh, and had lived similar lives. And, and so I felt, you know, less alone in, in this struggle. And it was actually quite, a, quite, quite wonderful. Yeah, also reading that book really, you know, it showed me, like, because, you know, I was talking to my mother about it, and she basically almost, like, is similar to your experiences, like, the hardship over there was, you know, compared to now, like, um, do you reflect on that, and did you feel that it made you the person you are today by going through all those hardships? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you when you struggle and, and you have a, um, a, a life of, of hardship, it does build character, <laughs> so yeah. I think, you know, you get, you get, uh, at any point, you get two options, you know, it's to move, move forward, or take the easy way, or to give up entirely, and I always uh, took probably the hardest road, <laughs> if I could uh, get a vision, um, and I think part of it came from my feeling very responsible, because I was the eldest of 11 children, and there was this constant pressure from from my from my mom particularly that you know that I shouldn't mess up you know because if I mess up the rest of my sisters and brothers would mess up and so I shouldn't do that and so I, I felt very very much like I I um you know I had to be an example uh, for them so that they wouldn't give up um, and and so so I think all those kinds of things uh, when I was writing the book all those kinds of things kind of emerged from the actual writing because I hadn't really sat down to think about it. But I do think that when you, when you have a very challenging um, upbringing of any kind, whether it's economic or, you know, illness or, you know, racial makeup and just whatever makes you different from the people around you and makes things harder um, or makes you feel... Um, that you're not part of that community, that always gives you a lot of, 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 of options for how to proceed. And, uh, and so I think in a way, you know, hardship is a good thing. It builds you. It builds you up if it doesn't beat you down. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> Oh, um, um, your your second book, um, it was a novel this time, um, American's Dream, has been published in six languages and has been, um, has been in print since it was published. How, how did you feel about the story, um, not really, 
No, that, that, you know, it, it, it definitely resonated with a lot of Latino, but American audiences, too. Like, um, you, you think yeah. that book went universal with um, American Dream? Yeah, the, the, the book emerged from the work that I had been that I had done, um, and it was still very fresh in my mind because I had worked in domestic violence mm-hmm. um, shelters, and I had worked, uh, you know, uh, working with uh, with women who had who were uh, involved in violent relationships, and so yeah. so, um, and then a lot of the, you know just all the stories um, of the the Latina. Made that I met who told me what their lives were like. So it was kind of a basically a combination of all these uh, different experiences that I put into that book. In addition to the fact that uh, it takes place in Vieques, and um, my husband and my, and I and our children uh, spent every at least two weeks, sometimes a month, in Vieques every year because um, I wanted my children to be you know exposed to. writer's dream to have like a whole audience from around the world like, you know love their book do you ever did you ever envision your career being this way like the way it is now well you know i, I was um in in high school i went to a performing arts high school so i kind of uh, even though i'm a very private um and, and sort of quiet and you know yeah. uh, i like i like being alone uh yeah. even though that's my nature um in in school, I learned some techniques uh, for how to how to be in the public, and so it really came in handy because I didn't know when I wrote uh, the first book, when I first wrote when I was Puerto Rican, I had no idea that being in the public eye was part of being a writer. <laughs> I don't know why it's in the first name, but it is. And so it was a it was a um, it was a surprise, and and and, it, and I had to kind of adjust. Uh, a little bit because I I, uh, I had to learn how to you know how to how to stand in front of an audience to talk about my book. I just didn't didn't know that that was part of it, and um and so I've had to I, I, you know just I just had to learn how to do that. And and I actually enjoy I love reading I just I love meeting my readers. I love um, listening to them. Some of them um, 
them tell me the things that they loved in the book. Some of them tell me the things that they didn't connect with or that they didn't like or that upset them. Or I, I get many, you know, I get many comments on my Facebook page and, and uh, other uh, on my social media about, you know, just what how how people feel uh, having read one of my books, which I just I just love hearing that, even when it's even when it's not a compliment. <laughs> Um, what made you want to tell your story in the first place? Was there any particular reason why you wanted to tell the story, or I didn't? I didn't necessarily. You know, I didn't set out to 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 write when, when I was Puerto Rican or any of my memoirs. I just wanted to to present uh, a reality. I um, you know, I was a very successful filmmaker. I was not thinking of myself as a as a writer. It was just I just I just kind of felt that the story had to be told, mm-hmm. and so I did it because I wasn't seeing it, you know, yeah. so, um, so I, I hadn't, it wasn't in the sense, you know, like a very, very often a young uh, aspiring writer will say to me, did you want to be a writer since you were like a little kid, and I have to disappoint them and say no, you know, <laughs> I, I never, I wasn't that way, yeah. I, I, I always was like an, an artistic child and, and an artistic young woman. I was always drawn to artistic endeavor of every kind, and I can't draw, even though I'd like to. I can appreciate uh, good art. And so the only, and so I became a dancer, which is a, a way of being in the public, but also be inside yourself, because you read, even though you're pop, uh, performing for, for an audience, you're really performing to perfect your own art. So... So, um, you know, when, when I stopped dancing, uh, writing kind of took over that, that role. And so it was more of, no, I, uh, I didn't think that I would be a writer until I actually was a writer. <laughs> and then I said, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> and uh, I you know, you know, like you said, um, you ran several memoirs, novels, and you illustrated children's books and essays and document um, documentaries. Um, is there any one genre in particular that you prefer? No, I think it's really. It, 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 I don't really. I think it's one of those situations that when I'm writing memoir, I just wish I were writing a novel, and then when I'm writing a novel, I wish I was writing memoir. <laughs> oh, okay. Writing is so hard. It's just so hard that you just want to be doing something else, except for what you're supposed to do, what you're doing. So, so there's always this feeling like, you know, if I were writing a screenplay. I wouldn't be suffering so much, right? but you always suffer. You know, it's, it's just that's part of that's, that's part of what you sign up when you when you do any kind of uh, artistic endeavor. Is that it's you know it's, it's challenging, it's hard, it's painful. You cry, you 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 remember things that you wished you had forgotten, or you remember things that you never wanted to talk to anyone about. So, so all these things happen in in. Yeah, no matter what you're writing, you have, you're dealing with your emotions and you're dealing with your experiences and you deal. And so I constantly go from one to the other, um, depending on, on you know, either you know whatever, um, whatever is, is really pressing at the moment mm-hmm. uh, in my mind. You know, I, I'm just like like now I'm really writing novels because I'm just pressing. It's just pressing on me that that's what I should be writing, but. But, uh, you 
at the same time, there are weeks that uh, I just write um, stuff for a memoir that's not published yet, but I, I write, like, I'm constantly writing everything at the same time, you know? <laughs> So, so it's uh, so I just go from one to the other, and, and there's one reason why it takes me so long. You know, like a lot of writers, they're like every other year, boom, 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 one book after the yeah, other. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work that way for me. I, it takes me a long time because I'm writing lots of different things at once, and um, and and um, you know, and then get to a point where one of them is over. Wow, <laughs> so, your your brain must be on overload. <laughs> Um, in um, 2002, I think it was, 2002 or 2001, I think it was 2002, Almost a, Almost a Woman was made into a movie for which you also wrote the screenplay for. How did you, how did you enjoy the collaborative process of filmmaking? Well, you know, I was a filmmaker for many years, even before that, so yeah. I kind of knew what was going on, and, and it, was, it was both one of the best and one of the worst experiences in my life. It was one of the best in the sense that um, that I, I I was alive to be involved in a film about my life, <laughs> so uh-huh. that was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was on the set, and so so the the filmmakers, and the producers, the director, and the actors all were very respectful, and they really, if I said something like, you know, that is that never would have happened in my family, they were very, they would listen, you know. So that part of it was really great. It was the, the hard part of it was is that you know um, working in film, it's a it's a real collaborative um, process, and so you're surrounded by people all the time, making decisions or being, you know, being uh, just, just it's just like it's like being in a shooting range, you know. <laughs> and I have been by, by the time this, I made that film, I worked on that film with with you know, hundred and fifty other people. I had been pretty much uh, writing by myself in my little office, you know, for hours and hours. So just that, that whole experience of, of, of writing again um, was difficult and challenging and, and exhausting. I mean, I'd come back to my my uh, my place and I would be like, oh, my God, <laughs> just pass out, you know, <laughs> from sheer exhaustion. Uh, it was emotionally exhausting as yeah. well as physically exhausting. Oh, how much did you enjoy seeing your words come to life and interpreted on the screen? Well, it was so exciting because, you know, this film, um, Almost a Woman, was the first Latino-based film that that Masterpiece Theater has, uh, had ever made. And I, as far as I know, the only one, actually, to tell you the truth, I, I don't know that Masterpiece Theater has, has um, done anything else about Latino life and culture. Yeah. So, so it's still probably the only one, and so that that part of it made me very, very happy, and it made me really um, proud that you know that that they um, Latino community responded in a in a really positive way. I wish, in a way, that that meant that there would be more Latino stories at that time. Of course, it was about ten years ago, but or more. Um, now you see it a little bit more, but I just wish it had happened. Uh, a little sooner, but I know that the film is still being screened in schools, that it's used by teachers, um, and that makes me just thrilled, you know, because it means that young people get to see a life like theirs, like the one that they're experiencing, 
um, and a sense that, you know, that all the struggles that they're having, they're not alone in them, that, that, so many, that somebody, somebody else can go through the same kind of thing and, and get on the other side of it. So that part of it is just, um, you know, makes me very, very happy and proud. Oh, that's good. And, you know, I know personally from my own, like, family get-togethers that, you know, um, Latinos are natural-born storytellers. What is, it, what is it about Latinos you think that, you know, telling a story is, like, a major part in social gatherings? You know how Latinos always love to talk and they tell stories? Like, how do you feel? Oh, like? well, we love to, well, you know, we didn't have television for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think I know that. You know, I think that, that, that is part of it is that I think, you know, Latinos, I like you know, you get together in big families, and yeah. there's always going to be a lot of stories to tell, you know, so the fact that we're so uh, family-oriented and community-oriented and feel, uh, you know, and have, have no fear about telling our experiences, not because there's always somebody willing to listen, I think that that, that encourages uh, that kind of, um, of, of behavior and and, uh, and I also think, you know, I think what I'm speaking of, of Puerto Rican particularly, Puerto Rican people particularly, is like we're really, we're real, really generous people, you know, and so telling a story is, is part of being generous, you know, to tell someone else, you hear somebody else uh, just had this particular experience and you want to share with them how you might have gone through something similar or, or different as a way of connecting with that person at a very basic level. So I think with that, that's also why we love stories. We like to tell them, we like to listen to them. And, um, and I hope that we, we should, you know, that we will continue to do that in spite of, of the, the many distractions that we have now. Yeah. Um, um, are your memories in Puerto Rico fond ones? Like, and now as you reflect now, are there like fond memories now? Yeah, well, you know, some of them are fun and some of them are really kind of sucky. <laughs> it's like when you look back in your life, uh, I think it would be um, unrealistic to uh, to only remember the good things and, uh, and not not remember any of the, the bad parts. Um, so I remember both, and I remember them, you know, much to to the surprise and sometimes disappointment of some people I have a really good memory. <laughs> A lot of books today, a lot of books that are published today seem so gimmicky and many times need to be sens- sens- you know, sensationalized in order to find an audience. Do you think a book like yours today, When I Was Puerto Rican, could get published today in 2015? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know that. You know, I think maybe, um, maybe, maybe it would be uh, published um, by a smaller press. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. If I, I, I see what you're going through, and I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a best-selling author like, you know, some of the people that, that are out there on TV or whatever. Yeah. I really have a very, I'm, I'm, I have a very loyal, Fan base. quiet 
readership, you know, and I and I value every single person who who's read my books and who gets in touch with me. I respect them and I love them and I'm I'm really happy. And I know that um, that they they make it possible for me to to continue this work. I have been told or asked or suggested that I that I sensationalize you know, my books a little bit more, but that's not me, you know, I, yeah. I, I can't, I can't do that, I can't, no, that's, yeah, I that's, can't. that's good, you know, you don't, never be a sellout, just stay true to who you are, that's, that's amazing, that's I'm, great. I'm trying to be as, yeah, I'm trying to be as honest and truthful to who I am, and, um, and I really, I, that's, that's, that's been my, my goal, and, um, and I just hope that, um, that, you know, readers will continue to to support me, and the only way you can, really the only way you can support me is me and people like me is to to buy our books and to make sure that our names are out there because we can't. You know, I'm not appearing like as I just said. You know, I'm not appearing. You know, I'm not famous the way uh, you know these people are. Um, but but I'm famous to you. <laughs> right? no. and that's happy. No, you know, there's a core audience out there. I'm saying, you know, everybody from like a Gene Simmons to a Chris Jericho, you know, all the, you know, the big stars. Everybody is like the new in thing now to write a book, write a book, or have a ghostwriter, and you know, someone's yeah. writing for them. But you know, you actually, you know, your own words. You wrote your own book, you know, and that's something yeah. to be commended for, you know. Yeah, no, no. I said, I mean, the tears on that page are mine, <laughs> and the laughter and, the, and everything, you know. And, um, uh, and and I don't do it because. I don't do it because, you know, I know when one of my books comes out, you know, I'm, I don't think of myself as, oh, this is going to be a bestseller, you know, I don't think that way, you know, I think a lot of people, sometimes when I teach, um, I hear from people who, you know, they say, well, I'm going to write, I want to write a bestseller, and I just have to say, you know, I'm the wrong person to tell you how to do that, <laughs> because that's my way. Down to write. That's not my goal. It's not to write a bestseller. I'm sitting down to tell a truth that's very impo- important to me. And if the book sells, I'm grateful, you know. And if it doesn't, then I think, well, I have to work harder to, to, to you know, make it so that people understand what I'm trying to say. So um, I think it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different approach and a different intent. Uh, when you sit down to do the work. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you this question. Um, in many ways, attitudes in American society regarding Hispanics have changed and continue to change. This is probably for the better, better most of the time. But in the like, you know, like in the forties, the fifties, and the sixties, it wasn't always acceptable for Hispanics to even use their real names. Like you know, like Vicky Carr, she was Mexican American. Rita Hayworth was she was like Spanish. She was Spanish and English. Both used you know American names, so audience will find them familiar. Today you have artists, you know, like Jennifer Lopez, who openly you know they they fought their um heritage. Do you think that this change has come because Hispanics were consciously assimilating, or was it more acceptance by the general population, or a little bit of both? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you know, when I when when um when when I was Puerto Rican, it came out. You know, like one of my friends jokingly said, "Esmeralda, you you know, change your name." You know, so that <laughs> because a lot of people get so, so many letters. You know, this did not come from my publisher; just a friend telling yeah. a joke. You know, but I said, I said, well, that's you know, I can't. Uh, I'm not gonna change my name because it's ridiculous. <laughs> But I think um, I really understand that uh, in you know in in, in, a, in 
you know, I mean, we have we, we have baseball players who, who changed their names. We have from every aspect of life because it was um, it, it, it segregated you into a different a different kind of ghetto. And so I think that um, that I think that 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 because some of us refused to do that, change our names, and or to pretend that we were something that we were not, um, or to act, or to act that we were. You know, some you know, different a, a different place from the one that we <laughs> that we were living. Yeah. Um, I think that that we we uh, you know we little by little began to change the culture and the way people envisioned us and and could understand. You know, but still, you know, when when I you know when you mentioned Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer, whom I really I just I, I admire her and I you know just think she's she's done amazing things. You know, she's still, her name is Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Not Claudine there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you went with the whole dramatic Spanish name. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I, but I yeah. also, you know, she was born that way. I mean, and, and then, and then I, I, you know, so many Latinos, I, including almost everyone in my family, in, in, in the, the lower generations from mine, all the children have non-Latino names. You know, they have names that are not... They have the last name as their Latino name, and then they'll have an uh, you know uh, Anglo-Saxon name. And I think that that's, that's um, you know that's a whole other issue, and I think a whole other question. Why why are we doing that? You know, instead of Catalina, somebody called <laughs> you know. Yep. Uh, and so I think that that's a that's a whole other question. But I'm very aware of that. And I see it. I see it all the time, and especially when I'm doing signing. You know, somebody will come up. And, and we'll have a beautiful, one of these beautiful, long Spanish names like Amparo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's something I never heard before. <laughs> oh my god, you maybe lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, uh, just two more questions for you. <laughs> um, um, are you uh, are you optimistic about the future of Latinos in um, um American culture? I'm, I'm optimistic of Latinos in, in all cultures, oh, not just okay. American culture. I mean, I think we, you know, the, the, the big challenge for us as Latinos is to, to encourage one another and our children to, to be educated so that we're up with what's happening now, you know, so that, so that we are, um, so that we are changing the future. And so, I think um, I'm, I think the fact that that um, you know that more more families are encouraging their children to go to college, to go to you know, to stay in school, to go to college, and and young people are are doing that and, and looking for ways, you know, getting two jobs so that they could go to community college uh, or or you know do part time. I mean, I think making sure that we participate. In, in the economy is an, an important um, aspect of, of, of hopefully of our future and, and I and I have, I do have uh, you know I'm a positive uh, sense about that happening and and um, but the other, the other side is I really do want that I want to see you know that we that we maintain the the values of our Latino culture that we that we celebrate and value. The Spanish language that a lot of Latinos who don't speak Spanish, I don't judge them that they don't, but I do 
language and that if somebody uh, wants to maintain it or wants to learn it, as so many of my uh, friends have, have done as adults, then that's something to be celebrated and valued and, and, uh, and, to, and, it's, and it makes us stronger people because it, you know, it, it's part of our pride and, and uh, to, to, to allow people to express their culture in any way that they can and, and want to. Um, well, another question, um, has when I was Puerto Rican ever been compared to other books out there? Do I compare to other books? No, no, has, 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 have you ever heard any comparisons to other books to when, to your book when I was Puerto Rican? Have you heard any comparisons of other books out there? Um, no, I mean, I think at the beginning, I think when, um, when, uh, when it came out, I mean, when I was Puerto Rican came out in, originally in 1992, so if you, if you, if you are old enough or can imagine, <laughs> at that time, there were not that many Latino books at all, you know, about our experiences. I mean, a name like Esmeralda Santiago was, like, really weird in, in, <laughs> in the literary world, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, so, um, so there was no way to compare it to anyone. You know, they couldn't. They could, they, I mean, some people, I think at the time, the closest that I read, and I'm going back now, you know, people would say we compare it to a tree grows in Brooklyn. You know, um, and uh, and I think it's because a lot of it happened in Brooklyn. I don't know because it's just you know, yeah. but uh, but that one wasn't a memoir; that was a novel. So so I um, I I really you know maybe maybe some years ago I might um, I I might have heard more of that, but um, not recently. I think now there's so many there's so many memoirs out from people from all different um, cultures and, and languages and continents now that people are aware that, that people live in those places. I think i They're not just in Brooklyn. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a slightly different way. Although they, they're still, I know that my, my novel, Conquistadora, was often compared to Gone with the Wind. And, and I think people were comparing it to Gone with the Wind because it has many pages like Gone with the Wind. I just don't know what the connection was myself. I didn't see it, but, but some people did. So. <laughs> um, is there anything you're currently working on that you'd like to share with your listeners? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm, I'm, working on a, I'm working on a novel, and uh, actually I'm about to start on another project with, um, with, with a film that's not related to anything in my life, which is going to be really consists of who you speak about it a little bit or uh, no I don't want to tell you because the, um, once I get notes from my editor it's mm-hmm. going to change a lot gotcha <laughs> I understand but, yeah well, so at the same time I'm writing another one um, so so I think I'm, I'm going to just not, until I know exactly which is the next book 
published, uh, or it's going to be public, then I'll be able to talk about it. Oh, definitely. And you say you're working on a film, or you're consulting on a film, or what is it that you're... I'm working on, uh, I'm actually writing a, a treatment for a film, uh, for a documentary. Okay. And, um, yeah, so that that's requires a lot of research and, and a lot of reading and, and uh, you know, listening to, uh, doing interviews, uh, listening to people talk, tell their stories. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting. It's been fun, it's been fun so far, I'm learning a lot. Wow, Tom, your books have been a part of, you know, um, society for a long time, Esmeralda, and I continue, I wish you and continue great success in your career. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I appreciated the time to to speak with you and and your listeners. And um, I just would like to thank them for their support and encouragement, and to tell them please keep Latino authors alive because our stories are worthwhile, and we just need to 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 read more of them and hear more of them. Yeah. Oh, one more question before I go, because I just thought about it. Was when I was Puerto Rican, no one ever approached you to making a film about that? Because that would be an interesting film, if it ever. Um, several people have approached me, but they've never approached. You know, because I'm a filmmaker, I know what it takes. Yeah. You know? And so my first question is, okay, what kind of budget do you have? And most people just have an idea that they'd like to have a film, but they have no money. Yeah. And so I'm not going to give the rights to somebody who doesn't, who isn't really have the capability to make uh, to make the film so uh, so every every single um, instance it has been someone who has this great idea this concept that they um, that they'd like to make a film but but nothing to back it up except for the idea and and you know sadly you know I've had that idea too and but I don't have the million dollars either so, so <laughs> if I had it I would have done it Hopefully that will happen because it'll it'll be a very interesting film. I would love to see that on the big screen. Um, is yeah. there is there any social media outlets people could look for you at? Well, I'm, uh, I have a Facebook page, Esmeralda Santiago, and I have a website called EsmeraldaSantiago.com where people can actually write to me directly. And I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, all over. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, I'm not as active as a lot of people who are checking their Facebook pages twenty times a day. I do it usually once a day, or sometimes it'll be days when I don't check it. But I basically I only. I only do it if I have something to say. If I don't have anything to say, then I don't like to bother people. So, uh, but I'm, I'm findable. It's very, it's not that hard. Well, you found me, right? Yeah, so. definitely. I did. I did. And, um, and we're here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Esmeralda. I definitely appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening.